This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, and we have another honestly pretty impressive slate of NWSL games to talk through today. I am joined by Rachel Krieger. How's it going, Rachel? Uh, things are things are good. Things are going well. Um, currently, apartment hunting down south Ooh, since I got a, right, I got right. a job in Florida. Yeah. Um, so now I am an hour and a half away from the Orlando Pride. So that's exciting. That is exciting. Um, but hopefully, I'll be able to catch some games in person this year because I like I I don't think I've been. No, I have been in Exploria Stadium one time, um, and it was great. So hopefully, I can go back. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll, uh, we'll tie all this together. We'll say, um, just like you've got, you're getting busy. Things are going on in your life. Uh, things are going on in the NWSL as well. It feels like things are kind of heating up a little bit. Things are getting, getting going a little bit more as we move into the second match weekend of the regular season. Um, I've been doing this for the last couple of episodes. I'm going to do it this time. Uh, how did it feel? How did this weekend feel? Did it feel different than last weekend? Did it feel the same? How is it? How did it feel watching these games this weekend? I think this weekend was a little bit more exciting than last weekend. Um, last weekend was kind of dull. Um, even like, and we'll get into this later, but like the um, scoreless draw between Gotham and Chicago, like it wasn't boring. Um, Agreed. So that was good. But yeah, lots of goals this weekend. Lots of um, really good goals this weekend. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a little bit more exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that this was probably, I please don't yell at me if I'm wrong, but I think this was the first weekend where we only had one scoreless draw. I think we might've got, I think this is the first time we've gotten goals in every game, but one would love to have a weekend where we get goals in every game, but um, we're getting there. We're making progress. So we're actually going to start with Sunday because that's when we're recording this. And that was when we maybe saw the centerpiece of the match weekend, which was the Cascadia Derby, the Cascadia clash between OL rain and Portland. It was in Providence park. Portland is coming off of that five to nothing drubbing of the Chicago red stars. And yet OL rain goes in there. They win two to one quick rundown of how this game went. Um, Portland scored first Christine Sinclair legend, uh, she, she didn't even have to move. Uh, Karen Bartley had come out to punch a ball. It landed right to Christine Sinclair's foot. She nailed the chip, beautiful chip. Portland goes up one to nothing early in this game. And you start thinking to yourself, well, maybe we've seen something like this before. However, quick response by the rain who else, but Megan Rapino, she scores on a free kick. Uh, it gets a good bounce. It's a low, it's a low ball. Uh, AD French moves in the right place, but and she even gets a hand on it actually, but the power of the power of the shot is too much. It ricochets into the back of the net. And then just as quickly on another free kick, uh, Portland, not Portland, sorry. Oil rain has the ball be sent into the box. It kind of bounces around in the box a little bit, falls to Shirley Cruz. She scores. So in the first 15 minutes, we have three goals, two by the rain, one by Portland. The goals were great. We're going to talk about that a little bit because this was this was the first Cascadia rivalry game in a while that felt like, wow, the greats of this rivalry are playing in it and they're playing really well and we're starting to really feel this history again. Um, but also there were no more goals <laughs> for the rest of the game. And so part of the story is also, you know, Portland was not actually able to equalize here. Uh, what, were, what were your initial takeaways from this game, Rachel? Um, well, I love that there is such a good rivalry between Portland and OL Reign because it's like the only geographical rivalry in the league. Um, so I, I really, really love it. It's been it's one of my favorite rivalries in MLS. It's my favorite rivalry in NWSL. Um, 
And of course, I'm pleased because Charlotte Cruz got on the score sheet. I've been waiting for her um, to score a banger in NWSL. Her goal was pretty darn good um, in front of net. But I, I thought it was a good game. Um, it, I had to laugh when you said um, none other than Megan Rapino because I think the NWSL had tweeted um, it's been over a thousand days since her last like regular season club goal. Um, which I had to like step back and think like, oh, wow, she, she didn't play a lot in 2019. Obviously she didn't play in 2020. Um, it really has been over a thousand days. It's crazy. Um, but good to see her get on the score sheet again. I'm sure she wants that heading into um, the, the Olympics that are going to be coming up sooner than I think anybody thinks. Um, but it was a good game. Um, I love a good Cascadia rivalry. I love a good chippy rivalry. Um, and to I, I think to go in to Providence Park and to get a win, I think, I don't know. I think a lot of teams are going to have to take, and I say have to take, OL Reign a little bit more serious than they have um, when they were winning in the Challenge Cup and when they kind of started off the season. Yeah, I agree. I think that this is definitely probably OL Reign's first big statement win of the year in the, in the context that probably none of the challenge cup group stage games are statement wins just by the nature of the way that tournament was. But um, yeah, I agree. I think we saw some cohesion. I thought, Oh, well, Rain, they made some slight, you know, tactical changes. They seem to be pretty happy with the back line that they've set up, even though it's a little bit unbalanced. You have Lou Barnes playing left back. That's new. Um, but, and I will say this actually about Oil rain and, and I'm going to, I'll say this. I, I, learned some stuff about that approach during this game, because in the past I've said some stuff kind of to the effect of um, you've got some kids on your bench. I want you to play them. But this actually showed that, especially in a game like this one, having some real gamers, some real game heads like Megan Rapino, like Shirley Cruz, like Jess Fishlock go in there with the right attitude and the right quality on the ball was really, really useful to the team. And then at the end of the match or later in the match, they were able to bring those younger players on and then they were able to continue what the team had started, but they had those leaders set the tone. And I thought that was great. Um, so I don't know actually if Portland loses too much sleep over the conceded goals here, two set pieces, right? One of which was a very well taken free kick one of which was a little bit of bad luck on the bounce, right? The fact that it kind of fell to Shirley Cruz and she got that, got a toe on it. They have to be pretty frustrated with not actually getting that equalizer. And it is interesting to have a team have a similar story in the challenge cup final, have a very different story against Chicago. And then we kind of saw a reversion back to some of those struggles in front of goal struggles is maybe even too, um, too strong of a word, but they're not infallible in front of goal is maybe a better way to put it. Uh, do you think, how much do you think Portland takes this to heart and how much do they say, well, that's kind of the magic of the rivalry. They got some good ones against us. We struggled to get the equalizer and it just didn't happen tonight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think those are all fair points. I think it's, I don't think they're going to go and shut the doors and have a players meeting like, you know, the Red Stars did after right. losing five, nothing. Um, I, I think it's just going to be this whole week in practice is going to be defending set pieces um, right. or, or something like that. Um, I, I, I feel like my, my thing with Portland and it's a lot with my thing with Orlando is that just on paper, they look like they should be the best team in the world. And there are some games I feel like with, and, and that's how I feel about Orlando too, but I guess more specifically to Portland, I always feel like one game Portland looks like they are the best team in the world and they could go and like, you know, even beat like Barcelona and the UWCL. Um, but then there are some other weeks where I'm like, they're kind of having Orlando pride problems where, yeah, they look great on paper and they um, have all of these individual stars that are amazing, but it's just not really clicking. Um, I don't know. That's just my thoughts on, on Portland. Um, but I don't think they're going to lose sleep over it. I think that they have a lot of young players that are really stepping up and showing that Portland is going to be in decent hands whenever, um, 
their big group goes to the Olympics. Um, even some of those veteran players, like I will always sing the praises of Angela Salem. Um, she's fantastic. And then, you know, Raquel Rodriguez won't be going to the Olympics. Um, so they get to keep her, but I don't know. I feel like Portland is just kind of one of those teams that one week they look really great. The next week they look like, it's like, all right. Yeah. It's they look okay, but I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I think some weeks they certainly look perhaps more dominant than others. I don't know if I would go so far to say is things aren't clicking. Um, but I think it just goes to show that this is not a sport. This is not a sport where having the best system and having all the best players, as long as there's another team on the field, it doesn't mean you're going to win every game. And except I will say that I was intrigued. I was so intrigued by a couple of things. One being that, what we saw with Chicago last week was a team mentally really struggling with being in Providence Park. And with the rain this week, we saw the opposite. We saw them thrive on that energy. And I think that that was such a cool and powerful turnaround, even just from that, that space of Providence Park to see one team go in and be like, this is really tough. We're really struggling. We're going to kind of get blown out of the water here. And then have another team be like, actually, we love this. We love the antagonism. And actually Megan Rapino had a great post-game quote and I want to read it verbatim. Uh, if there's any small children, cover your ears. So Megan Rapino on Providence Park, she said, it's a great atmosphere. Obviously the Thorns fans need no introduction. They're incredible. They have one big problem though, is that they love me. So it's really difficult for them to cheer against me. So when I scored, I had to go right over and really talk my shit. I was trying to talk shit to them and they just didn't know what to do. And then finally, someone gave me like a big double fuck you middle fingers up. And I was like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's the kind of rivalry that we want. And I love that energy from the rain. And I also, um, I just find it intriguing that Portland went down for again, please don't yell at me if I'm wrong. I think the first time this season, um, or for an extended period of time, certainly. And they went kind of into an equalizer drill and they couldn't do it. And I think that that, if you want to look at tape of how to frustrate that team, that's the way to do it. I thought Megan Rapino versus crystal Dunn was a great battle. I also want to point out one other thing, and this is going to be a theme of this weekend. And it's been a theme in past weeks and we just have to acknowledge it which is the, the refereeing, the officiating in the league was another real struggle this week. Um, in some games, it felt lopsided. And in some games, it just kind of felt equally bad on both sides. And so I think this one was another one where um, the officiating let a lot go. After the match, I don't have the direct quote, but after the match, uh, Christine Sinclair said something to the effect of it felt like Owl Rain was trying to do a little bit more fighting than playing soccer. Um, maybe that's just how you go into Providence Park and win. But the ref did let that happen. And I think to a certain extent that goes speaks to the character of the NWSL and kind of the style of play of the NWSL. But we're also seeing it really affect the games. So question to you, Rachel. If... So there are issues of this is taking out, out of account player safety, anything like that. We're going to probably praise the NWSL's parody a number of times in this episode. But do you think that the officiating actually maybe has a greater effect on the actual results parody than the games themselves? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I would say... That, I mean, officiating has an effect on any game, um, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Um, a friend of mine who is very knowledgeable in, um, you know, just refereeing, he goes through pro himself. He was kind of breaking it down for me saying, you know, there's just not a lot of qualified people i mean the nwsl basically has like slim pickings for their referees um which i would love to see more referees or, or candidates or whatever you call them um become eligible to be nwsl referees and really um bring some new faces i mean i'm so tired i mean she's 
pretty good, but I'm so tired of seeing Katja Korleva every single week. Um, and I'm sure the players are, are too. Um, but I mean, the, the officiating has an effect in some ways, whether it's good or it's bad. I still think it's one of those things that no matter what, no, you're not going to make everybody happy with officiating. So it does need to be better. I totally agree with that standpoint. But it's also it's also kind of tough when you have the slim pickings that they do. Agreed. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I understand. I absolutely understand the, the systemic issues that lead to this. But um, I, I think that maybe the thought that I'm going back and forth on is I think we saw a number of good games and exciting results, and we'll get into more of those. But I think also we saw some teams that felt like they were impeded by the officiating. And maybe teams trying to do what they considered to be more intricate tactical things. Um, and they that they felt like the officiating allowed that underdog to play much simpler, much more physical and get a result. Now, I'm not sure that's bad because I think the parity of the league is very important. And it's something that the league also prides itself on. But it, it is a theme. It's a theme this weekend. Um, but my final thought on, on this game is twofold. One is that uh, I, I don't necessarily think that we can take this result and say Portland is any less likely to win the things that we think that they might continue to win this year. However, I think this rivalry missed Megan Rapino terribly. And I want to also shout out Jess Fishlock for keeping that fire alive because there's no game at Providence Park that Jess Fishlock does not show up to play her guts out. And I think that's awesome. I thought that Shirley Cruz was a really cool um, addition to that, not only getting the game winning goal, but the way that she was maneuvering in the second half before she was subbed off to try to, they just spent that whole second half just trying to hold on and hold Portland off. Um, and obviously Christine Sinclair had an all time sort of a goal in this first half. And I just feel very lucky that this league has those quality of players who have stayed healthy for this long and that we're getting some of this magic back after a really tough year. Um, and so in, in the larger scale, and this is again, going to be a theme. I just feel a little bit like, Oh, wow, we're finally getting some of these things back. So I guess maybe my final question for you, Rachel is how much did the NWSL miss a fully engaged working her butt off Megan Rapino. Well, I mean, she's amazing on the pitch and she's even better um, in the post game press conferences too. Um, when you said bringing the magic back to, I had to think back um, to last year's Cascadia rivalry when there were no fans. Right. Oh yeah, you're right. You're so right. I should have said that. Yes. It's, of it's crazy. Of like yeah. it, it's crazy how yeah. much cha things change in like what, like yeah. six or eight months. Right. Like that was, that was just so weird. Um, I don't remember if that was one of those games that they pumped in like that artificial crowd noise. I hated that. And like, it was awful. And they had like but digital, digital <laughs> turfing over the stadium and stuff. Yeah. Like it's that. Yeah. just like the, and then you got fans like on zoom on like the, the scoreboards and right. stuff. Um, but to like actually see, you know, people getting rowdy and, you know, yeah. making their voices known and stuff. It, it was really cool. But um, Ma yeah, Megan Rapino. I mean, the league, she's so great for the league just being back in play. Like she could have not scored a goal tonight and people still would have been talking about her just because number one, her work rate and number two, just her persona and like yes club the way Tino, she, as it's called club yeah Tino. just yeah. just the way that she is i mean she would have been smack talking either way because it's yeah. cascadia that's what you do um yeah oh my gosh it, it's crazy how much this rivalry missed fans how much it missed Agreed. megan rapino how much it missed like all of the chaos like yes it, it was just 20 times better tonight yeah yeah and and again in that larger context you know, this is a very young league, right? And last year was a little bit of a wash in terms of building the league history. And to have players that, you know, Megan Rapinoe has been playing the Portland Thorns for a long time. And so has Jess Fishlock. And 
the fans in Portland showed up, you know, they were a team that always showed up like from day one. Right. And that love hate affair between those players and, and those fans. And you're right. I should have, I should have mentioned that, that yes, absolutely. This felt different because it was a regular season matchup between OL rain, um, formerly the Seattle rain, right. Um, and the Portland thorns and the fans were there and they brought that energy. Um, you could see I, the one other one that like, you know, you watch it and you think, wow, this game really matters is Lindsay Horan was doing everything she possibly could to try to sometimes not always in the most effective way, but it, it felt like both teams really, really cared, you know, uh, Jess Fishlock put both fists up in the air at full time. Megan Rapino was beaming. Um, Lindsay Horan was really upset. Other players were really upset. And I just, I think that it's so good for the league and it's a very special thing. And I feel very lucky to have watched that version of it this year. Um, so high praise for that game, high praise for that game, probably the highlight of the regular season so far, we're going to pivot over now to the other Sunday game, which was maybe, maybe had slightly fewer fireworks, but also had some really interesting things happening with both teams. And also we had a little bit again of that sort of NWSL magic because we had a two, two draw between the Houston dash and Kansas city NWSL. Um, that went back and forth. Kansas city strikes first with a, a strike from Amy Rodriguez. Uh, Houston responds in the second half, Rachel Daly scores. And then Shea groom kind of gets a free header on a corner kick hits it back post. So now Houston is up two to one. They hold on to that for a while. You start to think, okay, perhaps talent uh, quality, perhaps roster quality is just kind of one out here, but then Taylor Leach at the death <laughs> posterizes Alicia Chapman and gets Kansas city an equalizer. And this game ends two two. Um, I don't know if this game was quite as scintillating from beginning to end as the Cascadia game was, but we saw again, a team in Kansas city that is really still working stuff out. They had a sort of a wild starting 11 in that they started Michelle Vasconcelos and Gabby Vincent in their midfield. Um, I said last week that their game against Louisville didn't have a ton of midfield to it. And Kansas city was like, that's right. And therefore we're not going to try. Um, except it was Gabby Vincent who hit that beautiful ball to Mallory Weber that she sent into to a rod for that first goal. So Kansas city is starting to figure some stuff out, but they also just have some of the same weaknesses that we've seen in weeks past. And Houston was able to capitalize on them. Uh, first question for you, Rachel, for Houston, they, fall to Gotham in week one on a disappointing result. Cause they played pretty well. They played well in that game. They drop another two points here against Kansas city in the game that they thought they had won. How much is Houston kicking themselves right now? Um, I definitely think Houston is going to look back at that Taylor Leach goal and just shake their heads. I mean, it was a great play from Taylor Leach. She got some really good air was able to beat out her defender. Um, and that was just one of those that there wasn't much that Jane Campbell could do on that. Um, it was perfectly placed header, perfectly placed ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody is going to be inching towards the panic, but I keep thinking of Rory Dames's quote from last week when he was like, guys, we're like three points out of first place or something like that. Um, I could have, I could have said that wrong entirely, but I think that was the gist of it. Um, but I think Houston realized during that stretch of the challenge cup, when they were missing um, some of their veteran players, their international players that they needed those players. Um, Cause nobody really kind of stepped up to fill the void. Um, and now that they have those them back, I hate to say the word it's the words it's not clicking because it should be clicking, but it's not clicking. Um, the finishing has not been fantastic, um, but the defending was pretty lackluster tonight. Um, but I mean, kudos to Rachel Daly for being the club's all time leading scorer. Um, her goal was pretty good. Shea Groom had a really great header, although it was awful defending from Kansas city. Um, I, I think, Houston just kind of needs to hit the reset button and get back to like, kind of look back at what they did last year. I mean, most of their challenge cup roster from last year is pretty much intact. Um, they didn't lose 
too much. They didn't lose the players. I guess I expected them to lose in the off season with the um, expansion draft and whatnot. So I think they kind of need to just hit the reset button and figure out what's going on and, you know, get back at it. Next week's a new week. Well, yeah. Um, Well, this week is a new week also because they have a game on Wednesday, which actually originally, this is a piece of news, was originally supposed to be played in Washington. They were supposed to be on the road in the short term. Well, Well, we will get back to the game, but as we're on this train of thought, but they were originally supposed to travel to Washington this Wednesday to play against the Spirit. Um, and at the very last minute, that game has actually been reverted back to Houston. So now that is going to be Washington away, Houston at home um, due to what I believe has been reported as an issue specifically of running water at Segra field, which is that DC United USL facility that is still under construction. They have cited the pandemic as being an issue for the delays in construction there. The spirit were told by the league that the conditions at that field were not high enough for an NWSL game. Again, kind of last minute. They reverted over to DC United. There is some dispute about what the availability of Audi Field was for that game. Ultimately, that is going to be a home game. So now Houston actually has a home stand of this game, the game on Wednesday, and their following game against Chicago. So instead of actually having to travel for short rest, they will be at home for one of their, I think everyone has two weekends of two weeks of of three games in a week. So um a little bit lucky for Houston there to build on that chemistry. I'm going to disagree slightly on the idea that things aren't clicking. I think um, we saw Houston come out in a high press, which is what they do. They're very, they're very aggressive defended defensively. And unfortunately what that does mean is that you have to be really sound in the back to combat whatever waves of counterattacks that you're leaving yourself vulnerable to. And what we saw in Kansas City's first goal was they were able to absorb that pressure and then go super direct, beautiful ball across the field, right? Gabby Vincent to Mallory Weber to Amy Rodriguez. And that is actually, that's how you, that's how you combat a team that wants to press you really high. And I think that also it's not insignificant that Houston and Kansas City have already played each other. They played each other in the Challenge Cup. So Hugh Williams has tape on this team from playing his team. And so I think that that was a significant part of why Kansas city was able to be effective against Houston in the first half. And then we did see actually Houston's, like I said, some of the development talent roster cohesion went out in the second half. You saw Christy Mewis turn it on. You saw Shay groom, turn it on. You saw Rachel Daly turn it on. And one of the downsides of that kind of a high press is that it's not really possible to do it for a full 90 minutes. You have to pick, your windows and there were there were periods of about 15 minutes in this game where Houston let up a little bit you start thinking to yourself oh well maybe Kansas City can pull this off and then I think I don't I don't really have a lot to say about the last goal Elizabeth Ball left this game on a red card she got two yellows so Kansas City was down a player for the last oh gosh I I, I don't know exactly 25 30 minutes of this game and I think Houston just kind of thought it was over and made a mental mistake in the back and that cost them two points. But as you said, they have some time to bounce back. Um, Let's talk about that actually really briefly before we kind of wrap this part of the segment up. Um, Psychologically, what do you think it does to a team to be told that their home game is now away? And what does it do to a team to be told that their away game is now at home, especially because this is a midweek short rest game? Well, yeah, I think you just said it right there. It's a midweek short rest. I mean, that's a pretty short time frame to make all these changes and stuff. There may, that could affect, you know, ticket sales, um, getting people into BBVA, um, which of course, you know, fans have an impact on the game of, you know, as we know. Um, but I think Houston is, is certainly relishing in the news a little bit better than Washington. Um, it's one of those things that's tricky. I mean, D.C. United already had an event at Audi Field. That's tough. You can't really change that. Um, and it's, dare I say it, a little unfair to ask them to change that. Um, but I think that Houston is going to relish in it. I think they're going to – I think James Clarkson's going to kind of beat it in the players' heads like we're going to – we're given a golden opportunity here. Washington isn't really in the best shape right now and we're at home. So 
three point. I think this is going to be, I know it's early. I know it's early in the season. There's no really time to hit the panic button, but if anything, I think this is one of those games that Clarkson's going to tell them like, we need to get three points out of it. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think, um, right. You have a Houston team on one point and then you have a Washington team on also one point uh, in two games. So both of them are looking for their first win of the season. And I think that it is significant that it is being played in such odd circumstances because um, we're at the point, and we talked about this last week, and we're going to talk about it this week too, where it's too early to say that any individual result is setting a trajectory for a team. You can just kind of only follow trends and see if they continue, but certainly psychologically, both of these teams are looking for their first win of the regular season. They want that. They also are kind of uh, fellow travelers in a way in that they are dropping points in games where they are technically outplaying their opponents. So they have some faith in what they're doing, both teams, but they also have to be pretty frustrated with how the results of these games have, have finished up. So yeah, I think I'm fascinated to see the midweek looking forward to that. Uh, We will actually talk about this Washington game in the next segment. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back with the other three games of the weekend in just a sec. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. I am joined by Rachel Krieger. I'm going to do the thing I do every week, guys. I'm going to ask you to rate and review this podcast. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever streaming service you use. Leave us a, leave us a review. Let us know if uh, what you like, what you don't like. Well, maybe not what you don't like. Tell us nice things. I like to read nice things. Um, we're going to go into some news before we talk about the other three games of the weekend. Um, some of this is very off-season-y stuff. It's interesting. We have, this is maybe a new era of the NWSL where we have both things happening at once. Usually <laughs> there's one and then the other and then one and then the other. But but this week we had, or perhaps even last week, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the timing. Um, Casey Stoney the head coach, the manager of Manchester United women did officially leave the club. And I don't want to get into this too much, but there were, there was some conversations in talking about sort of support and opportunity. And I think the WSL right now, and actually Jeff Kasuf, uh, our Jeff Kasuf had a really good conversation with uh, Susie Rack about this on his kick and back podcast this week about how the WSL is in a little bit of a transitionary period where They've made a lot of strides and there are a lot of things about that league that are really incredible and very unique. Um, But you still see people inside that structure asking for more, need more support, need more activity from, from these clubs that are usually uh, are almost completely tied to men's football. Um, But Casey Stoney did leave Manchester United. There were reports, rumors, what have you, that she is tied to what is likely to become the San Diego team in the NWSL, which was formerly the Sacramento team. Um, Obviously, that would be a connection straight to Jill Ellis, who has been the sporting director of that project. Uh, We'll see how that pans out. Did want to mention it, but if that becomes official news, we'll talk about it. Uh, Thing number two is we got official confirmation that Portland Thorns, Mark Parsons, will be leaving the club at the end of the season to join the Netherlands. Uh, interesting for a number of things, obviously rare to have this, uh, this kind of appointment announced so soon or sorry, not, not so soon, uh, so far from when he's actually going to take the job because he is planning on coaching the thorns to the very end of the regular season and the postseason. He is very committed to that project, but he did confirm that he will be leaving and he will be going to the Netherlands. Take this with a grain of salt, obviously, because this is a conversation facilitated by the thorns, but he said that a lot of the decision was personal as much as it was professional. Uh, We all went through a really tough year this past year. And he is a person whose family is in England. His wife's family is in England. 
his daughter's extended family is in England and they, it was thrown into sharp contrast, kind of what it means to be so far from home, especially in a year like this past one. So he said that was a big factor in the decision. Uh, things to watch though, are probably as the season progresses, because he is officially kind of taking over the job in September, but he is not leaving the thorns in September. There's going to be some overlap between the end of the Netherlands Olympic campaign. It's going to be during their world cup quali- part of their world cup qualifying campaign. And that will coincide with the latter half of the NWSL regular season and the postseason. So we'll kind of see what happens. It's something to watch. I will say that I don't think that that affected the result this weekend. And I also don't think that in the short term, this is going to affect the thorns much at all. If anything, I think this will be a focusing agent for them. Um, I'll kick this over to you to Rachel in a second, but I do want to put the one final piece of news in here, which is that angel city actually made an announcement this week. They announced who their sporting director is going to be going forward. And it is any Aluko who is a former England international a former Chelsea international. And she, as of this point, was the general manager of Aston Villa women. And I think that this is an intriguing choice. What do you think, Rachel, picking any Aluko for this job? Author too. I don't know much about her, but I read her book and it was fantastic. Um, so if, if I'm blanking on the name, but I can like see the cover. Um, I, I actually see it on my bookshelf right over there but I can't read the title because my vision is awful. Um, but her, she's, she seems like she really knows what she, um, what she's doing. Glad she has some experience before coming over. Cause I mean, to, I, I feel like to jump into that role for the first time in the NWSL would be incredibly difficult. Um, just because of the, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the competitiveness, I guess, of the NWSL, the toughness of the league. Um, so very cool that she has a little bit of experience before heading into that role. She has a lot of time to prepare, um, and I'm sure she's going to be busy these next couple of months traveling to some games and, and whatnot because um, she's got an expansion draft, expansion draft um, to look forward to. Yeah, I um, I find this I find this an interesting hire. Um, she definitely has playing experience. I will say that I am a little bit surprised that she is leaning so fully into soccer operations. I guess when she left playing and, and moved into, right. She had a very successful book. Um, I, I guess I kind of figured that she would move into the media side things a little bit more, move into maybe punditry. Um, but she has really dove headfirst back into soccer operations. I would say that her success with Aston Villa is really inconclusive. She was not in the job for very long and that team had middling results. Uh, though, obviously, as we all know, there are various factors that could lead to that. Um, yeah, I, it'll be really fascinating to see, you know, we've talked about this club in a number of ways on this podcast about what they want to do with, with soccer, but also what they want to, um, represent in their community and to the larger nation and the world and, and branding and values and all of that sort of stuff. And I am really interested to see the actual soccer, the actual footballing infrastructure come into place because Angel City has existed for a long time, but we're only now kind of being introduced to the people who are going to be running the Angel City Football Club. And um, I wish Aluko all success. I think that it's a real, I think it's a TBD. I think it could go great. I think it could go not so great. So I think that it's going to be very fascinating to see. Uh, And then finally, I do want to ask any reflection on Parsons to Netherlands, or are you more in the camp of, We'll talk about it when it's relevant in six months. I, I would say I'm in the latter camp, but I will say it is definitely well-deserved. Um, his success is not for naught. I, I think he is a very good coach. It pains me um, as the OL Rain person to say that, um, but all joking aside, he is a very good coach, uh, has a lot of experience for um, only being 34 years old. And I mean, what a team to have be the manager of that's a great team with a lot of potential and I always just am so amazed thinking back to you know they made it to the first to their first ever world cup in 2015 
Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but did they didn't even make it to the knockouts, right? Or they made it to the knockouts and like lost in the first round or something. Um, they didn't make it far is the point. And then in 2019, they go and they are the runners up. Well, they won um, the Euros. They won. Yeah, they, they won, won the, the Euros. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's that. I always forget about the Euros. Yeah. yeah, they won the Euros. Um, a huge leap, and then you know, from World Cup to World Cup to make it as the runner-up. That that's pretty darn impressive. And they're such a good team. And I mean that that's just like a present with a bow on it for him. So, but yeah, I mean we'll, we'll know a little bit more in the later. Uh, summer, early fall months, but it is certainly very much well-deserved. And what a look for the NWSL to have, you know, NWSL coach Vlako Andonovsky become the U.S. Women's National Team head coach. And then uh, Mark Parsons, you know, bred and, you know, grown through the NWSL being the head coach of the Netherlands. That's pretty darn impressive. Agreed. Uh, Yeah, I think that it's a really good advertisement for the league to say that if you want a pipeline to a high profile international job, this isn't a terrible place to work. I think um, obviously this is a tale as old as time running a national team is very different than running a club team. Mark Parsons has been very particular. His roster construction over the years, very different when you're dealing with a national team player pool, but um, yeah, I other, right. I think there's nothing to say at this point other than congrats good luck both with Portland now and in uh, once things get a little bit more busy. And I look forward to hopefully Mark Parsons, Netherlands playing Blackco and Anofsky, United States women's national team someday. All right. So moving back, we got three more games to talk about. I don't want to neglect any of them. So we're going to go all the way back to Friday night and we're going to talk about Louisville versus Washington. And we spoke a little bit about Washington in the last, you know, the end of the last segment talking about what their Wednesday is now going to look like, but Washington had another frustrating result, big, big, big result for Louisville. They beat Washington two to nothing on goals from, uh, Ekech and CC Kaiser. Um, this game, Oh boy. I don't know exactly how to talk about this game. It, Louisville, a similar, a similar theme of Washington, gosh, Washington had more than 20 shots. They had more than 10 shots on goal and it just was not happening for them. Um, my, my preliminary notes as the game started, you know, you had Ashley Sanchez as the number 10 attacking a space in the defensive midfield that Louisville doesn't really have a, an exact perfect person for, they kind of share, uh, duties with Olofsson and Malay, but again, Louisville kind of did some old school. Here's how you beat a team that's trying some stuff against you. Super quick counterattacks. They Washington was a little bit more attacking, which actually did give Louisville some space in behind. You wonder if maybe Washington should have gone very boring, possessive, slow, and forced Louisville to deal with that. Emily Fox had a great game for Louisville, and she played outside back, obviously, and she had a really, really good matchup. She was, you know, she was playing against Kelly O'Hara directly, right, giving her a lot to think about. So you're the U.S. Women's National Team. I'm going to say this. Nothing is happening before Tokyo. Nothing is happening before Tokyo. They are going with who they are going with. But you have, if you're Vlatko and he was there, he sees something like that. And you've got a weak player pool for the U.S. Women's National Team. You look at Emily Fox and you say, the moment the Olympics are done, giving her a call, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, oh, God, Claire, in my perfect world, you'd call her up now. Um, But sadly, (laughs) sadly, my perfect world doesn't exist. Um, There there is going to be certainly lots of roster turnover after the Olympics. And if her name is not on that list, I will be very surprised. Um, And I think somebody else doing herself a favor is, um, and and I really hope I say her name right, Emina Ekic? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. She great name, by the way. Um, it might be Amina. I, I, I'll admit that I don't know for sure, but yeah, I did. I know I got the last name right because I kept hearing, you know, Ekic, Ekic, Ekic on the, on the goal replay. Um, but yeah, I think she's given herself quite a good look too. Cece Kaiser has been 
you know, just a complete stud this season for, uh, for racing Louisville. But yeah, I mean, Emily Fox is just so darn good. And I remember, um, you know, she, obviously she played for UNC and UNC comes to Pittsburgh every once in a while, um, to play our Panthers. And I remember when she tore her, um, ACL and she had still traveled with the team, um, to Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, I went down and I interviewed her after the game and I said, you know, what's your goal? And she said, I want to get back to the national team. So the national team has always been on her radar. It's something that she's always wanted. Um, I know that obviously Tokyo is something that she wants. It might not be something that she gets, but she definitely has a future on the national team. And if she keeps it up with racing Louisville, she is, she's not just going to get herself a call up. She could get herself um, a starting spot on that national team. Yeah. I think it's very promising. I think that this is why she went pro. Well, I mean, she was a senior, but we saw some people take fifth years. This is why she went pro. Um, and for went actually right the spring season with North Carolina. Um, yeah, I think that we saw some proof of concept there. We knew that she had this within her and she was also a great leader on that North Carolina team. So she has an element of maturity to her as well that I think is, is very promising. So we're starting to see that proof of concept. I, I agree that CC Kaiser has been good. I think that sometimes that what we've seen with this Louisville team is players being given much bigger um, amounts of responsibility than they maybe had on the team that they came from. And I think that CC Kaiser has sort of slowly been growing into that greater responsibility. We're kind of see how that works when Ebony Salmon comes in. Um, but you kind of saw that with Fox though, too, where Emily Fox had very solid games previously, but this was the first one where she had a lot of confidence on the ball. She was making cutting runs that sort of dared Washington to sort of step to her and she found space and she took it. And I think that that is something that is an evolution of a young player. Uh, but I do want to talk about, we'll talk about the narrative. Well, let's, let's get into narratives here. Um, Louisville, very direct Washington, trying to do something a little bit more complicated. Sometimes when I watch the spirit, I wonder, and, and this is, you know, a question for Richie Burke for Richie Burke system is I wonder sometimes if they sacrifice individual quality in the search of that perfect systematic play. And that's a much longer project, a systemic play, you know, that idea of, of having the whole unit working together in this perfect way. And they have players who can turn that switch and move into individual brilliance. And, but they aren't trying to do that quite so much. They're trying to move as a team, do things as a team. If it starts to work for them, they're brilliant. If it doesn't, it's maybe a mistake. And so I think that Washington is still in that moment. Again, we have to talk about the referees. Uh, Dorian Bailey <laughs> dislocated her shoulder in this match. Trinity Rodman had a very sc uh, scary moment at the end where I believe we were told after that she more just got the wind knocked out of her and elbow to the ribs. But this game was allowed to get very physical. And it's, I would say, even for me, it's hard at this moment for me to tell when you have those conversations after a match, and obviously it's very serious here because we're talking about player safety. When you have the losing team talk about how the officiating affected the result, you want to take it, you have to take it with a grain of salt because losing teams have a lot of things that they need to say publicly and then things that they need to say privately. But the more physical these refs let these games get, perhaps. Uh, the more likely you're going to see a team who is very physical and direct have a good result. Um, however, Louisville, um, it was kind of a magic story, right? We're talking about getting the magic back a little bit with the NWSL. Ekic is a local kid, you know, first, first regular season goal of, of the season for the team. And it ends up building, it ends up being the game winning goal. CC Kaiser doubles it, which helps, but Louisville is still kind of riding this high, right? Definitely. I mean, what, how could you not, you've got that glorious stadium that you're playing and you're, you know, filling it up, packing it as, as much as you can. Um, and you're playing pretty well. I don't want to say they're great because they're still new, still trying to feel them out, but they're playing really good soccer right now. And it's something that, you know, they're, they're kind of the team that it was like, Oh, wow. 
okay, I didn't really expect that, but you know, here you guys are. Um, and they're, they're fun to watch. Um, I don't know. It's just, I, I remember when that expansion draft happened and I was like, geez, I don't know how this is going to work out. Um, but they are really fun to watch. I really enjoy watching them. Um, yeah, Ekic has been my favorite player on the team. I, I think just because of the storyline too, um, you know, being bred in Louisville and, or sorry, Louisville and, um, you know, having success with them. So yeah, it's a fun team to watch. And I, I know it's early. I keep saying that, but God, I did not expect them to be at the top of the table. Yeah, sure. I, I agree. Um, I think what we're seeing in general is we are seeing talking about sort of the top of the table. We're seeing very simple, clear soccer being rewarded early on. And we'll figure out later if, if that rings true going forward, but that is definitely where we're at right now. Um, but I also, I think that's great. I really like it when a team sort of looks at what they have and know that they're building a larger project and say, you know what, we know exactly how to get the points that we need right now. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, again, questions for Washington. It was almost comical <laughs> how many shots they got without scoring and this, the same thing that we've said a couple of times, ultimately you start to think that that will work itself out, but also these are human beings. And sometimes it's an indicator that you need to make some shifts. So I, I don't know exactly. I think that probably Washington will be disappointed with some of their team defense as well. You saw some players get caught in isolation, having to do one V one or one V two defending because defensive assignments were lost and they tighten that stuff up and they go forward. So they're going to be playing Houston on Wednesday. And so that's going to be probably a big game for, for both of these teams, as we talked about. So moving on to, you know what? I'm actually going to follow this theme. I'm going to follow the theme. We're going to skip, we're going to skip the nil nil draw for a second. We're going to go straight to North Carolina versus Orlando, because this is a very, it's kind of a similar story in a different way. Uh, North Carolina hosted the Orlando pride. Uh, Orlando got the win big, big result for Orlando two goals. They had a goal by Sydney LaRue and a goal by Alex Morgan. They were up to nothing for quite a bit. Uh, North Carolina did get a goal back very, very late in like the 89th minute courtesy of Jess McDonald. Um, so this game again, <laughs> started with an officiating controversy. I don't know if it's even the word to say at this point, but I think North Carolina had a legitimate penalty kick shout in the very, very beginning of this match. I think that there were a number of teams this weekend that probably should have gotten penalties that didn't get them. And I will say this, that the more you let that stuff go, the more it's going to keep happening and it will only be elevated until people get hurt. But I, it's almost redundant to keep saying that. Uh, Orlando is a team night and day from where they were in 2019. And I don't mean that simply in result, but the way that they play now is completely, completely different. Mark Skinner has <laughs> acquired the data that he has acquired and he has decided to switch up the way that they play completely. They are very, very direct. Um, they swapped keepers for this game. I, you know, they said that it was not an injury scratch, that it was just keeping people fresh. They had Aaron McLeod playing instead of Ashlyn Harris. And this game was really interesting in that I'm not sure... North Carolina, they didn't play great, but I'm not sure they played terribly, but just what Orlando was doing was clearer and was executed better. Um, the first goal, I'll just, yeah, going into the goals, Sydney LaRue, there's a, a, a pretty slow back pass by Kerry Ricaro, and Sydney LaRue picks it off, gets a good, good shot in low to the left post. She gets the first goal. Orlando goes up one, nothing. And that, you know, maybe you say, oh, that's a mistake in the back. We have Sam Mewis coming back. She's going to be in our midfield. We're not too worried about that particular thing happening again because we're going to have different people playing. Um, but the second goal was Orlando just doing what they had been doing the whole match, which it was a punt. Uh, I believe, I think it was a punt because I can't tell you because we were in a replay when it happened. But I think it was a punt from Aaron McLeod all the way to Taylor Korniak's head which then landed to Alex Morgan, who had a real nifty little touch to get around her defender 
and score the goals. They were up two, nothing. And I guess separate questions for North Carolina bad that they're giving up these goals. They're giving up direct goals. And I think that we've seen a number of teams learn that they have to adjust for direct play um, in ways they weren't expecting. But for me, I'm still just kind of boggled by North Carolina's inability to respond. Why couldn't they score? (laughs) Um, What do you think, Rachel? I think North Carolina is, I don't know. I I hate to say hit the panic button. And, you know, I feel like Paul Riley is hitting the panic button because our friend Neil Morris had said that the um, courage are are attempting to bring Abby Dahlkemper back already. I feel like she just left for Manchester um, and they're already trying to bring her back. Um, But they've just been sloppy. Um, They've been sloppy. And that's, it's so weird to say with, with that team because they're so consistently good all the time. They've got Dabinia, they've got Lynn Williams, Jess McDonald is still producing at a pretty good work rate. Um, Abby Urseg is on that defense. It just sounds weird to say, but it, they're sluggish. They're kind of slow and it, it's just not really working right now. And I, I don't know if they need to pull a Chicago and have that players only meeting. Um, but it's been, it's definitely been, different not what anybody is used to yeah I mean I think I think yeah I think I agree I think I agree with with some of that most of that uh I think that they um what do I think I think that they it's not as cohesive in that what we saw from the peak North Carolina days was that they were constantly recycling the attack in a way that put their opposition on their heels And I'm not seeing, we're seeing the same speed of recycling of those attacks. Uh, I still think they have not completely figured out their outside back situation. Um, And I also think that some of this was bad luck. They got, they created chances. They had chances and they just didn't land. Um, And also Jessica McDonald's goal was great. And I, this is the other thing too, is North Carolina was able to score in the challenge cup. Dabinia had a great challenge cup, right? She was challenge cup MVP. Jess McDonald had a great challenge cup. It's not that they don't have the ability to score. It's that in the games where that isn't clicking as well, they're also giving goals up. And I think that again, I think this will even out, right? They're getting Sam Mewis back. They might be getting Abby Dahlkemper back. They're trying to get Abby Dahlkemper back. Um, And I do want to, we're going to, we're going to throw this quote in here because it's a good one. Paul Riley was not very happy after this game was over. He switched it over to Orlando. He said they've changed their philosophy completely from two years ago when they were artists and trying to play out of the back all the time, but they're certainly not that they're very direct. They don't play any football whatsoever. So another theme is we've seen some teams complaining about their opposition going too direct. And I say, well, don't let them, uh, yeah. So I, no, I, I'm not hitting the panic button for North Carolina. It's more just that we knew the weaknesses that they had and they're going to fix some of them. And I think a larger thing with North Carolina too, is that their mentality is very good and their style of play is very good, but it helps when you have all of the players that you want to have and they just haven't yet. And so they're going to try to go get them. So kudos to them to go get those players. I still think that that is a work in progress. We're going to be seeing things from them. Um, in the future, that's going to look a little bit different because I think that the fundamentals are sound, but the execution is not quite there. So talking about last game of the weekend, talking about fundamentals that are sound, but the execution not quite being there. We did have one scoreless draw this weekend. Chicago hosted Gotham FC. It was a nil-nil draw. It was the first time that Chicago had allowed fans back in the stadium for over 550 days. They were the only team not to let fans in the stadium during this year's Challenge Cup. I was there. Um, I can say that the vibes were very good. Fans were really happy to be back. The team was really happy to be playing in front of fans again. And Chicago, it's one of those funny things where Chicago played quite well without fixing any of their problems. And uh, which is good news for them because they're coming from a very poor performance, right? Last week, but the goals were still not there. And while I'm sure they're very happy that they have some proof of concept that they shouldn't be defined by last week's performance, still looking for that, still looking for that win. Right. 
Yeah, definitely. I think the thing that I noticed for Chicago was that the Mallory Pugh and Kalia Watt connection was really good. It was just the finishing that was just off. Um, Chicago had a lot of good chances. Uh, Kaylin Sheridan made a couple good saves. And, and honestly, um, Gotham's defense was just really good. Um, who is it? Estelle Johnson made a couple good toe pokes out of the way. Caprice Didasco was really good until she was subbed off. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the connection between Pew and Watt was really, really good. Pew had some really nice crosses inside the box. Um, just the finishing either wasn't there or it just got saved. Um, and then for Gotham, I mean, good Lord, they're going to have nightmares of crossbars, um, for the next couple weeks. Um, Carly Lloyd, and I don't remember who else hit the crossbar. It'll come to me. Um, but yeah, two, two really good shots that hit the crossbar and I don't know, but I, I don't think Gotham was super dangerous in that game. I thought they were, I mean, they had some decent looks, but not a lot. I think Chicago definitely, um, I, I saw Dan, um, our colleague Dan Laletta had tweeted something along the lines of, you know, I don't really think Chicago is going to be questioning or something along the lines of, well, we need Jer Julie Ertz back right now. Like they're, they're okay. Their midfield looked good. Um, their defense looked pretty good. It was, just, it was a good battle between two teams. And, and like we said at the beginning, it was, it was a scoreless draw. Yeah. But it wasn't boring. No, not boring at all. I think, um, yeah, I think a couple things. I think that Chicago looked really good on the ball. So Mallory Pugh looked really good on the ball. Uh, Kalia Watt looked really good on the ball. Um, I thought Vanessa DiBernardo looked really good on the ball. So their personal ball handling skills and dribbling skills were being showcased. They put Gotham on skates frequently. I'm not sure that that passing in the final third was right there. Like you talk about the good crosses that nobody got on the end of, well, you know, technically that's an unsuccessful cross. Right. Um, I think Chicago made some slight tactical tweaks. They put Kayla Sharple back in Sharples in at center back um, beside Tierna Davidson. And they pushed Sarah Gordon out wide. I think that was very sound. I think that that solved a lot of the problems in the back line. Um, for Gotham, I you talk about magic. I mean, we're talking about magic a little bit this weekend. They have this knack for <laughs> letting their opponents get the ball in really dangerous parts of the box that those opponents then just do not score on. And I don't know <laughs> if you blame that on the other team or if there's something about blocked shots or last-ditch defending or obviously Kalen Sheridan looked really fit. Um I don't know exactly, but you talk about like XG versus goals allowed. What Gotham is writing on is, is something pretty impressive. And what I still don't know is if there's going to be a regression and maybe they're going to have one nightmare game where they let in four goals, or if they're going to be able to maintain that sort of bend, but don't break uh, formation because because yeah, like uh, like I said, you had players on that back line getting individually individually beat, kind of regularly. But then, whether it was through organization, uh, recovery, or just wastefulness from the other team, um, those did not turn into super dangerous shots. So we'll see. Um, thought Carly Lloyd had a really active game. To be completely honest, I thought that she had a good game. I thought not only. Did she create some chances for Gotham though? Gotham did not officially record a shot on goal in this match. Um, I thought she had a very active first half and I thought that she also, uh, there were some talk about gamers, right? We're talking about gamers this weekend. There were some gamer moves from Carly Lloyd in the second half. Also kind of have to talk about a kind of weird referee performance where a lot of stuff didn't get called in the first half and then everything got called in the second half. So it was very stop start in the second half. So I don't know how much either team had time to put things together um gotham has to be happy with this point on the road kind of a gritty gritty draw um and chicago just has to feel a little bit unlucky again um though again like i said with washington when you have these kinds of scoring issues you know roy james said after the game he said he would be worried if they weren't creating chances 
but he's less worried about finishing them because that will eventually start happening. And I agree. I agree with that, but I also, um, am interested in still talking about the development of the types of chances that Chicago is creating and then how the quality of the players who do end up on the ball and how they're able to finish those. I will say that I, <laughs> I found myself wishing that uh, Mallory P could be in two places at once. I wanted her to be on the wing and centrally, but um, yeah, I thought this game was fun and it was nil nil, but I thought that it was, it was a very different kind of energy. And I'm sure a lot of that also had to do with the fans. Um, so yeah, any final thoughts on any of these games or the weekend in general or what's coming up next? No, I just, the only thing that I, I can say is I think people need to, and I said it in segment one, I think people need to start taking go all rain a little serious. Um, and I just, I, I always forget that, oh my gosh, like Rose Lavelle's coming to this team now. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's going to be really cool and really exciting. Um, and then of course you have all of the, um, French transfers, Les Sommers, uh, Marazan and Buhati are all coming. So, um, interesting to see what Farid Benstidi does with those pieces and who he decides goes on the bench and who he decides starts. Um, but yeah, I mean, OL Reign is the dark horse, them and of course Louisville right now. Yeah, right. Yeah, I agree. I think, right, OL Reign has to feel great about this weekend because I'm sure the expectations were not this high for the roster from, from outside. I'm sure the, they had the expectations for themselves, but um, for the roster pre- all of these other players coming in. Um, yeah, I think I'm excited to see adjustments. Ultimately, I think that we've seen some teams get kind of surprised by what they've seen from other teams or frustrated by what they've seen from other teams. And I am looking forward to the teams that consider themselves to be a little bit more intricate and more elaborate to adjust to the styles that they're seeing because it's only good if you win. And that's, that's like the NFL and not the NFL, the NWSL, the NWSL creed is that, um, it's only, it's only good tactics if you walk away with the dub. So I'm excited to see what happens next. So that has been match week two. We're going to obviously have a, a midweek match to talk about next time, as well as a full following weekend of NWSL action. And in addition to whatever news this league has for us that we can only imagine will be coming through in the next week. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and we will see you all next week.